gracious Father, we come before you this morning in need of your help. I pray that you would just open our hearts. We have come here with stuff, with, with baggage, with our past, with at times the evil one trying to condemn us. And there are times we, it is hard for us to remember that we are forgiven and washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. We recognize now that we have an accuser, but we have one who has cleansed us, who is Jesus, your Son. So, Father, I pray that you would make our hearts open and pliable this morning as we hear the Word of God talked about and read. I pray that you would, where, where work needs to be done, that you would do your surgery on us, Father. And so we, we plead, and I plead for your people and for myself as well, that we would be eager and, and embrace how you want us to walk with you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are currently in a, in a series um, uh, really about the supreme, about Christ being the name above all names and being supreme. It's all about Jesus. And we're in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, whether it's electronic or there's one in front of you or you brought one, you can turn right now to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. It is at the end of your Bibles. We'll be in chapter 2 this morning. And I'm just going to read it. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributing, distributed excuse me, according to his will. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a bit low, little, oh, I just messed that up. Verse 7, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but... We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with the glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. 
For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name in name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation i will sing your praise and again i will put my trust in him and again behold i and the children of god has given me since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted if you're taking notes this morning if you want to write down the title it is called do not neglect such an amazing salvation that is the title of our message this morning do not neglect such an amazing salvation and yet i guarantee that that we, we are here today, and we probably, there are some here that struggle with moments where we neglect the amazing salvation that God has brought through Jesus Christ to us. And there are a lot of ways in which he does that, that we do that. And what we need to do is we need to be a people that pays close attention to what we have heard from God namely the gospel. We need to be a people that pay close attention to what we have heard so that we are a particular type of people that um, has a few different things that we're aware of. Um, there's four of them that I'll, I'll address this morning. One is that, that we would pay attention, people that, are, that are pay attention to what we have heard, namely the gospel, are aware of a few different things. One is that we would be aware of drifting. Two is that we would be aware of God's wrath. Three is that we would be aware of the cost of the cross. And four is that we would be aware of the freedom from the slavery with which we were once slaves. So there's a lot. And, but, and I'm going to un, kind of unpack those things that we see throughout the, the text here. So but we need to be a people that pays close attention you know, I'll, uh, some years ago, I worked in, in, in Torrance, and in that particular area and in the store in which I worked, there were a lot of guys that would come in from uh, the Palos Verdes area, but they would also guys that, that worked in, um, in um, San Pedro, and a lot of guys that, that live and work there, there's a whole community that just kind of lives and works there, and it's, they make a lot of money working for the, um, um, uh, as a longshoreman. It totally escaped me, but longshoremen. So a lot of money, usually with a lot of education, kind of a cool gig. And I would talk to the, all these dudes that would come in to my store, and we, I would ask them questions about their jobs. I would kind of, you know, just sell them stuff or whatever. 
um, and, they, and they would tell me about their job. I was like, man, you know, like, what, what's the deal with that, dude? It pays really good. What's up? You know, make a small talk with these guys. And they'd say, well, the issue is it's an, it's an extremely dangerous job. I was like, oh, wow, really? How so? He's like, well, at, at our job, like, man, the big thing is you have to pay attention to what's going on all the time. I was like, well, okay, how so? What's the deal? He's like, well, you know, there's tons and tons of those carts that you see on the back of trucks being hauled across the country, these huge containers. Well, they're thousands of pounds, thousands of pounds, and they basically are shipped in, and we stack them like Legos all over the place and ship them out in an orderly fashion. And if you are not paying attention, you can get splatted by one of those containers as they are moving them all over the place. And if you're not in the right place at the right time, or if you're, rather, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you will be no more. It's bad. It's dangerous. And here's the thing. If things in I, I, the reality is you and I have had experiences where we haven't paid attention to things that are super important in our lives as it relates to work or whatever, how much more should we take the seriousness of walking and paying attention to God himself? This is what he says. Therefore, in verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Why do we need to pay such close attention? Why don't we pay attention to the things that we had heard related to the gospel in and of itself? Well, there's a number of reasons why we don't. And there's a big reason as to why we need to do that. The why we need to pay close attention to what we have heard and why the author is making this such a big deal because it's not just life-threatening, it is eternity at stake here. And this is what it says. Pay much close attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. That is an amazing statement and a terrifying statement in the Bible. And you are hearing it from the word of God and hearing it said from someone who's a strict Calvinist, fully believing in the perseverance of the saints, and yet the scriptures affirm that we need to pay close attention to what we've heard about the gospel lest we drift away. And don't we know that and recognize that in our own lives? This last week, I was able to get some, um, some quiet time in a kind of a unique setting. And I went paddle boarding with a, with a couple other pastors. We brought in a guy to kind of to minister to us a little bit. And then we just paddled off to different parts of the beach and just had just an hour and a half of just, just quiet time. You, your Bible, and Jesus. And as I was sitting there, and uh, I was rehearsing the psalm that says, just be still and know that I am God. And, and I, as I was sitting there, the thing that I found happening is all the busyness and the clutter and all the work that needs to be done was just kind of being set aside. And I confess to you that at times for me personally, it's, it's rather difficult to do. Because my mind is always racing. I'm always thinking about these different things. There's like the whole property management related to our church right now. We have a couple of renters and 
and that, you know, they have questions and all the time and emails and blah, blah, blah. All, all that to say, all the thing, and I'm just like just being still and quiet before God and meditating on this passage and thinking of how to pay close attention and not neglecting the gospel that I have heard, lest I drift away. Now, I am not a sailor, and I'm not a mathematician, but I have heard and read that uh, those two things, as, as they relate in navigating where you're going with a ship, that they're rather important things. And that one little bitty, just one little number degree or half a degree off, depending on how far you're trying to go. If you're trying to go from South America to, you know, just, just, just to Florida, if you're just like a little bit off, you end up in Iceland or Greenland. Like, it, 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 is, it is profound what the slightest little thing that you're missing can just change everything. And the scriptures tell us that if we need to pay not just attention, but closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. And I ask you, brothers and sisters, and I plead with you uh, for my own soul as well and for yours, how are you paying closer attention to what you have heard as it relates to the gospel? And what are the things that would cause you to drift away? Do you know what they are? Might I, might say, might I say that they are possibly sin issues? You know, it is amazing how just like one little bitty thing can change everything and cause us to drift. Um, several years ago, I was taking my son to his fifth grade uh, um, trip. It was like, it was a, it was a science oceanography type of trip. And you drop, you drop your fifth grader off at a, at a place where they're going to get in a boat and they go to Catalina. And uh, uh, Google was kind of trying to figure out some things, and I don't know how good it is now or what your experience is now. I'm not trying to bag it. I'm just saying the facts. The facts are friends. I'm going to tell you what happened. I put in the address of the location that we were given, and we were driving, and I gave myself plenty of time so that we would have an hour, you know, before they're going to leave. But when you're going to get on these boats, if you're not on time, there's a little thing that happens. They say, that's it. They close the gates, and they're gone. They are not waiting for you or anyone else. It doesn't matter what you paid. Like, they have a schedule. And I put in Google Maps the, the location, and I end up about two miles away from the actual location. I mean, the, whoever entered that little thing, I put in the right address of the location, but whoever's doing that in the background, if you're just off just a little bitty thing, how much more is it as it relates to just a little bitty sin going on in our lives? where we could actually miss the boat. Now, we did not miss the boat. We were, like, really close, because I was able to figure out, I'm like, this does not look like the port. Where in the world is it? The address doesn't match, match so we got to figure this out. But just one little thing can creep in and can mess you up. So I ask you, well, are you paying close attention to what you have heard, and do you, are you aware of those particular things that might be drawing you away that you would cause to go adrift? And I'll tell you this, if you have been a Christian long enough and you walk with Jesus long enough, my guess is you, like myself included, have friends that you have loved, been in Bible study with, have prayed with, have walked away from Jesus. Sadly, if you are old enough in your faith the reality is you probably have a friend here and there that was proclaiming Jesus that probably is no longer proclaiming Jesus. 
Now, by God's grace, God would draw them back. I believe in the perseverance of the saints. So once saved, always saved. I, I get it. I believe that. I ring that bell. But also, there are those that are hanging around and hearing that probably are not true believers. My guess is you have seen that too. And you know and you need to be made aware of the dangers of drifting. So those that are paying attention are, pe are the kind of people that are, number one, aware of the dangers of drift. Are you aware of the dangers of drift creeping all around you? And you might see it maybe in a lot of different ways. It might be some sin. You may have come here today and you are living in a particular sin that is not being dealt with. Or it's kind of uh, one of those, those Christian kind of things, kind of religious kind of things where it's sort of acceptable. You know, things like gossip. You know, something that's just not as, not as bad. And it's, remember, like one degree and you're in a totally different location. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's consumer Christianity. Maybe you feel like, hey, the, the church, all, all my churches in the past have wronged me. They didn't do it right. Now, now I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I, we should not go to a church that's not preaching the gospel. But, but in our context, it is easy to kind of get uh, consumed with a consumer type of Christianity. And we feel like the church fails us if they do not provide all the things that I need. Are you aware of the things that would cause your heart to drift in some way? Can you identify them? It's unfortunate that we are not meeting this week, but you should meet with someone, your spouse, a friend, and talk about this and confess sin and, and figure out, spend time with God in quiet, in solitude, fast if you need to fast, and say, God, how are the ways, what are the ways, the secret ways that I might drift? I don't want to drift, God. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, um, number two, um, those that are paying attention are the kind of people that will be aware of God's wrath. Now, it's a little interesting what's going on as you read that passage right there, starting from 2 and on, because he's making a connection from with, with those angels that brought the, the word of God, right? You know, a, a, an angel met Moses, and then he comes with the Ten Commandments, right? Where angels bring special messages to the people of God. And that message, the word of God, this is what he's talking about, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, right? proved to be reliable. And then he addresses what happens when the people of God receive the word of God, but then do not obey the word of God. And what the result of not obeying that is um, a just retribution from God. And as you read the Old Testament, most of the time what you see is, a, is, is death. The people of God disobey God, and they die. And that doesn't mean necessarily eternal punishment, but they receive the, as the scriptures say, a just retribution because of their sin. And what we need to understand and what we need to recognize if we're going to be the kind of people that are paying close attention 
um, to what we have heard, namely the gospel and how that applies in our lives and hearts and, and hearing it and rehearsing it and having it be a part of every, saturate every part of our being, then we need to be the kind of people that are aware of, and rightly so, aware of God's wrath. And that means the existence of con- eternal conscious punishment, which, which in our culture, it sounds like bad news, and it is bad news, by the way. It is bad news. But there's, there is hope and there is good news in, to understand in the midst of that, in knowing that. However, people that pay attention to how they're walking with God need to be the kind of people that are aware whether or not they're drifting and aware of God's wrath especially in a culture and a context where that is ignored and not talked about and people just want to say it's not even a real thing because who wants to believe that? Now, I was reading an interesting article by, um, by Michael, Horton, Michael Horton. It's an older article, and I thought it was really interesting. He was critiquing uh, evangelical culture just, just, just a, a tad, which is something he does. He's a really sharp guy. He's a really good guy to read, but he, he really has some really good, interesting insights as he's kind of dealing with some things related to this. He says, a lot of times in our culture, we, um, we call people to a relationship with God. And what he critiques is this. He critiques the culture and says, hey, here's the deal. Everyone has a relationship with God. Now, that might strike your mind a little odd at first. Because usually what we hear is, hey, we want you to have a relationship with God. And I know what people mean when we say we want you to have a relationship with God. But there's nuances to people doing theology. And he says everyone has a relationship with God. Either you have a relationship with God as father, or you have a relationship with God as judge. You know, so it's, and the other thing he critiques is a lot of times people, when they refer to hell, they talk about hell being God, God being absent from hell. Now, there is a theological concept that we need to understand as we read the whole of Scripture, and that is that God is omnipresent. God isn't somehow not somewhere because he's God. He's God. And because he is omnipresent, hang with me, it's a little theologically big, but Hebrews is kind of theologically big, massive actually. The reality is those that are in hell, which is such a terrible thing to even ponder. It is not a lack of God's presence. It is the presence of his judgment. God is omnipresent. And there is two types of relationships we can have with him. Either we have a relationship with one who is our father. In fact, as we read the scriptures, he's going to refer to us as brothers. This is a beautiful and wonderful thing to be called a brother in the family of God. Or the other part is to be have a relationship of him as judge. But those of us that are paying attention, which is the, the scary and frightening warnings of this scripture, are the kind of people that will be aware of the wrath of God and not play games with sin and recognize that this Christian walk is an incredibly big deal. It's a serious deal. It's loads of fun. It's where we actually get the ultimate joy and the abundant life, but it is a big deal and serious. And that's why we say things like, you guys, we do need to be missional and hang out with people that don't know Jesus because people are dying and going to hell. 
therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? He says, how shall we escape if we neglect, in verse 3, such a great salvation? He's moving from a salvation that has been declared by angels to how much more should we pay attention if Jesus himself comes and declares this, which he did. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, you see that? And it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So in other words, God has spoken and we need to listen. How much, how can we possibly escape if we neglect such an amazing salvation and we should recognize it for what it is, our salvation is an amazing and beautiful thing and therefore we should not play around with sin and just be like, not a big deal. Especially when it says, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. On one hand, I want us to be terrified at the immensity of God and the realities of hell, but then I want us to be encouraged and be rem reminded of the good news of the gospel that we have hope in, and there is hope to be understood, but we do need to understand, in light of understanding the gospel, we have to understand the dangers and how horrific hell is. And by the way, um, in his article, Horton critiques the fact that people in our culture are mostly afraid of hell and not the God who made it. You know, it's not that hell that people should be fearful of. It's the wrath of God. It's the wrath of God. And we are people at times that mess around with sin in such a way and do not deal with it and might be drifting toward an iceberg and we are going to sink, brothers and sisters, unless we repent and turn to God with whatever issue it is. I, don't, I can't pretend to know your heart. And to be quite honest, I can barely understand my heart. Our hearts are deceptive. Our motives are messy. But my Savior is good and knows me. And he has died for me and he's died for you. Number three, we need to pay attention, and those that do pay attention to what we have heard are the kind of people, number one, that would they'd be aware of the dangers of drift, they'd be aware of, the, of God's wrath, and number three, we would be aware of the cost of the Christ, of the cross, the cost that we would be aware of the cost of the, uh, of the cross. The, excuse me, they'd be aware of the cost of the cross. It goes on to say this. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of wh and this is verse 5, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and by the way, this is where David is, is like blown away, that God would even pay attention to us. He says, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
for the Son of Man that you care for him. You made him a little lower uh, than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting anything, everything in subjection under his feet. What Hebrews goes and does is something fascinating. It interprets something for us as we are reading this Old Testament passage. In the midst of this New Testament passage, listen to what he, he does. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In other words, the Old Testament is there is Christ centered. It all points to Christ, and that is what he is highlighting as you read that passage, that Christ is the aim of the Old Testament. It is all about Jesus and what he has done, and the cost of the cross. We see in verse 9, the suffering of his death, that by grace, the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus, the good news of the gospel, the fact that we need, we need to be a people that are aware of the cost of this cross is essential to being a people that is paying attention to what we have heard regarding the gospel because the cross is costly. It was the death of Jesus that paid for our sins. It is in no way us. That is why we constantly say, that's why as we read the Bible and we talk about the Bible, there is nothing that we can do or say or add to saving ourselves. It is all about God saving you who would not come to him otherwise, by the way. It is a God who saves me, not me that saves myself. All religion around us, whatever it might be, is all about how we can better ourselves or save ourselves. But Christianity is completely unique. This is about God coming and saving those that cannot save themselves. This is why this is so essential. And those that are paying attention need to be the kind of people that are aware of the cost of the, cro of the cross. And we need to remind ourselves of that daily. And now one of the things he's going to do here is he's going to talk about our sanctification and how we can deal with, uh, um, um, with the temptations that we face but I want us to go back again and wrestle with whether or not we are a people that is turning away from sin because of the, because of the cost. Or do we just sort of play with it? Because we don't think it's a very big deal. Or because no one sees. Our friends don't see. Our kids don't see. Our spouse doesn't see. But here's the one who does see and who knows, and it's God. It's God. Number four, uh, people that are paying attention to what we have heard are aware of the freedom that we have from the slavery that we were once in. Listen to the scripture as it goes on and as he talks about sanctification. Now, put, now, in putting everything in subjection, I'm going to start in verse 9, excuse me, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God we might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom 
and by whom all things exist and bring many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For, for he who sanctifies, that's who, who cleanses us, Jesus cleanses us and washes, washes us, and, and, is, and, and is, we are being changed by God. That's, that's a way to understand sanctification. And those who are sanctified, so for he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified or being sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. In other words, he came down, Jesus came down as a man, and he identifies with us, and he does lives a life that we could not live. This is really at the heart of what's going on here. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God has given me. Since therefore the children share in, the, in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the, the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now Satan's a powerful foe, but you, we need to understand that through the death he destroyed, that Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And, the, the, and deliver all those who through fear of death it's natural to fear death, right? We were subject to a lifelong slavery and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. We were once slaves. We are no longer slaves to those things. God has conquered that through Christ. For surely it is not angels that he comes and helps. By the way, Jesus does not come and die for angels. He comes and dies for people, for humanity. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. What does that mean? What does it mean when he talks about the offspring of Abraham? He's talking about his elect ones. He's talking about his sheep. He's talking about his children. Um, those that go to hell are not the offspring of Abraham, by the way. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. It's referring to Jesus taking on flesh in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, in the Old Testament, a priest would go and sacrifice an animal. You'd bring the animal to the priest. His job was to handle all that, and there would be atonement for these people. And Jesus is coming in the form of man, and, and he's doing it. He is the better priest than the past priest could ever be. He's the true priest. He can identify with us. He's fully human. He lives a life that we could not live. We cannot live a perfect life, but Jesus did it for us. And not only, instead of him cutting up the animal, he is the one that is sacrificed on our behalf. Therefore, in verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, very difficult word, propitiation is about Jesus taking on the wrath of God and satisfying the wrath of God. That's what that is. A propitiation is Jesus taking on the wrath of the Father and appeasing his justice for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now at the heart of what's going on here is sin, but also temptation. When we go all the way back to the very first part of the passage, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. We understand that we face temptation. But did you know that Jesus understands? 
Do you understand? Yes, you need to be aware of the wrath of God. Yes, you need to be aware of the cost. But do you understand that Jesus understands you? He understands your temptation. Jesus was tempted. I hope you understand that temptation is not sin. I, I hope you truly understand that because it can, sometimes can be confusing because you might be facing uh, temptation for a number of different reasons because of something you did, something from the past, some old thoughts come up, whatever it is. But did you know that your merciful God can identify and understand and he has even given you the power to overcome that? Do you see that amazing thing that he says where he has defeated the, de the devil? Do you know that and do you believe it? Now, here's the thing. Uh, just recently, my, my wife was listening to a podcast that someone uh, in church shared, which was just super epic. And I, I think this will be helpful in understanding this, this temptation that's filled. Because I, one is that it's going to address like a taboo issue, but a massive hot button in our culture. And when you hear me talk about it, I want you to understand that we are totally orthodox. But there are some things that I might say where you might think, oh, my goodness, is he like not going orthodox? I am. And I'll, I'll explain it. She was listening to a podcast and an interview of Jackie Hill Perry. Jackie Hill Perry, if you know who she is, she is a, she's a, uh, an artist, she's a rapper, but she's a, a woman who was actually in the homosexual lifestyle. She was, she was a lesbian for, for, I don't know how long, let's call it years. And she, she uh, gets saved, she comes to faith in Jesus, she repents, and the interviewer is asking her, hey, um, are you ever tempted by that anymore? Now, um, what you need to know about Jackie Hill Perry is that she's married to a guy. She's a Christian. She's married to a man now, even though she had come out of the homosexual lifestyle for, for a number of years. And her answer to the question was, yes, every day. That's what she said. I'm tempted every day. Um, there's all kinds of things that can trigger old memories. Maybe even whatever, strange, like all kinds of stuff. And the, uh, the interviewer's like, wow, this is really interesting like, and fascinating. And, like, and, sh and uh, Jackie's being re real with the temptation that she's experiencing. And I know that you probably experienced similar ones. Maybe it's related to a, a lot of different things. It could be a drug addiction, of, of addictions of all sorts, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or food, by the way, or slander, or gossip, whatever it is. Or pornography, perhaps. And she says, she says something really fascinating in the midst of that. And I want to just read this before I go on to talk more about that. But, but I, am rem I was reminded when I was listening to the interview that for, in verse, in verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, that's a reference to Jesus, by the way, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Man, do you call on Jesus in the midst of temptation, or do you run from him? It's much easier to run from Jesus when you're tempted. It will feel awkward and strange to be like, Jesus, I need you right now. So she confesses, I'm tempted every single day. And she's married to this guy. She's a Christian. She's repented. I'm tempted every day. Old memories. Something can trigger, whatever. Um, and she's like, you know, before I came out of the, that lifestyle and that sin, 
Christian, a lot of people had what I would call the heterosexual gospel for me. Now, let me explain. I thought it was really fascinating and very helpful. Now, there are a lot of ways that people try to give the gospel to others, and it ends up not being the gospel, but some other strange gospel, like a moralistic gospel. So we come and we say to someone, look, if you would just be straight, then you could be saved. Something like that. And what she said, and she called that the heterosexual gospel, not because she doesn't believe that, that uh, homosexuality is sin. She believes absolutely that homosexuality is sinful. But she says, but that's not the gospel. The end is not to be heterosexual. The end is that you would know and want Jesus. And then all the muck in my life gets cleaned up by him. That is what the gospel does. Like, so she had it in perfect order. She had it in perfect understanding. She was like, so when I, she's like, so as I, I'm, I'm talking, engaging people that are stuck in that lifestyle, uh, the thing that's, they, they don't need to become heterosexual. That is not the first thing that I start with. They need Jesus. That's what she said. She's like, brothers and sisters, they need Jesus. And I'm, I, and she's like, and look, I confess, there's times I'm tempted uh, by these things because of, because of my sin, because of my past or whatever. But God has been sanctifying me and cleansing me, and, and he has made me right with him, not me making myself right. He made me right. And I hope you, there, it is so profound when you start to spend enough time and hear the good news in the gospel, you start to understand that, dude, it's all about Jesus making me clean and not me making myself clean. It is not the gospel of you becoming a Republican or a Democrat or dressing a certain way or having a certain elevated, uh, you know, like a, a pay or, or uh, the appearance of looking good and moral. We need to repent of sin, but the gospel is Jesus. Him on a bloody cross, dying for sinners because of our sin, being buried, raised from the dead to for us to walk a new life with him. And I thought that was powerful. Do you understand that when you are tempted that you have a sympathizer, well, and be careful with that word, but someone who understands your temptation. Jesus was tempted, and yet he never sinned, ever. And Jesus has defeated the evil one. We blame so much on Satan when our things that we, that give birth in us and the sins that come out of us are not the result of Satan, but they're the result of our own depravity, by the way. I, Satan's probably like, Man, those dudes blame me for a bunch of stuff. Like, I wasn't even there. Like, that's all them. So we need to be a people that are paying attention to what we have heard. And my heart and my hope for you is that you would be a people, that we would be a people that would pay close attention to the gospel as it impacts every part of our life and that we would be aware of these things, of drift, of God's wrath, of the cost, and of uh, the freedom that we have from the slavery that we were in at some point, because we have one who sympathizes and understands our temptations, and my hope for you is that you would call on him. That you would call on him. And can I just close by saying this? If you are struggling with sin, you don't know how to undo this thing, first and foremost, that you would call out to God. But secondly, 
And almost simultaneously along with that, because God wants us to be in Christian community, that you would call on a brother or a sister. Hey, you guys, you know what? A lot of times people will, will get frustrated, and um, this happens in church. This happens, this, they get frustrated with, with their church. They feel like, hey, look, I was gone, and no one called on me. And I would put it back on us, brothers and sisters, when we're in great need, are we calling someone for help? Are we the ones saying, dude, I need help. I can't, I'm stuck in this stupid, I need help. And, and show up to branch group. And if you can't make, out, uh, make it on that particular day, dude, we want to figure out a way to get other leaders that are raised up and to, to be there available to you so that you can be in community. And if you can't make it out at night, like, dude, dude call me. I want to help you. Let's pray. We thank you for 